In this video, we'll be sharing our experience through dance and showing you our perspective and the obstacles um, that we went through to get the titles that we have today. And Joe, introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Joe Gonzalez. I was uh, born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm currently living in Philadelphia right now, um, actually in transition probably soon into New York. Um, I'm 100% a dancer, choreographer. It's all I do. It's all I know how to do. Um, I'm a teacher for universities, dance schools. I dance with companies. I dance with small projects. I've done, I've choreographed for universities and other companies and I found a co-founder with my business partner, Maylisa Chandler, of Joe May Dance, which we are actually celebrating our 10th year this year. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Okay, so I want this video to be interactive. So everyone who's watching this video, I want you to share your experience as to how was it like for you to grow up trying to achieve the title that you have became. So I'm going to be asking him some questions and I'll also share my experience through dance because many of you know me as a choreographer as well. So we're going to go down the line and say, what were some of your influences and how did you get started through dance? You know, I always say dance is one of those things I didn't, so growing up, I used to dance around the house and not like hip hop or anything. I used to actually do ballet. This is before I even knew what ballet was. So I always like to say dance has really chose me. I haven't really chose dance. A big influence, honestly, and this may, you know, even sound taboo, it's my own, my own mom. My mother, she, she saw something in me before I even took interest in dance. And she was just like, I feel like you need to dance. And she would really push me into doing things she saw that I really enjoyed movement. From there, I, you know, I, it's hard to say I had influence because I didn't see a lot of dance growing up. I, you know, didn't grow up in a very wealthy home and, you know, not very poor either, but uh, we didn't have a lot of opportunities to see dance. So I didn't have a lot of influences until I got older. So really the, the drive to dance was kind of my influence. Definitely. What age were you when you started? Uh, I started at, I want to say 11 years old. Um, so I actually in the third grade, so I was uh, left back in the third grade because I didn't speak a lot of English. So I'm Dominican and I grew up speaking Spanish and only Spanish. Um, and my English wasn't very good. So we were left back in the third grade, me and my twin brother. And Boston Ballet had their uh, city dance um program coming around to like i believe it's the third grade um in the second year i was in the third grade they had selected me and that really kind of just took off from there i went to the next following year i received a scholarship to their program i had moved and i couldn't do boston i couldn't afford it either um boston ballet after that um and then my mom had put me into a dancing school in roxbury called roxbury center for the performing arts and you know, it's funny because I actually fought her on that. I didn't want to go to dance school. And day one, as soon as I walked in, I was like, no, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> That's how your mind shift changed. Yeah, quickly. And I like how you said that, uh, that dance choked you. I feel the same way as well. 
I know that I come from like a creative family. My sisters used to perform. I used to go see the Boston Ballet, Nutcracker, Alvin Ailey, and all types of dance companies. Um, and it was just like, it was amazing when I started in preschool. I, I went to all performing arts school, Elliott Church School. It was very musical theater driven. So dancing, singing, acting. And it just felt like it was an opportunity for me to get outside my comfort zone. I am an introvert. I don't like being in a spotlight per se, like public speaking. So the podcast is fine with me because I'm just talking to a camera, but you put me on stage. It felt like a whole nother world. I didn't feel like I was myself and I was portraying this character. So a lot of influence for me was ballet, modern. I watched a little bit of hip hop. It's not as interesting to me as the other genres, but yeah, it was just like the level of execution and production that goes into it. Yeah. What, what styles have you trained in? Um, so starting at the Roxbury Center, we did modern ballet. Um, and it was more like a lyrical modern. Yeah. Yeah, lyrical. And I also did tap growing up there. That's when I first started doing hip hop. Uh, then I went into high school at the Boston Arts Academy, where I was a little, introduced a little bit more to Horton, uh, more rigorous training in ballet, a um, little introduction to Graham, and I also had joined a hip-hop group, which was like really kind of beyond me because I, I considered myself more closer to like ballet, modern kind of dancer. So I believe that helped me a lot in like finding a groove. And so I think that was really important. Um, going into college, which I went to Boston Conservatory, um, which is now Boston Conservatory at Berkeley. And I took Lamone, Horton, Graham, um, ballet, ballet partner and modern partner and improvisation, improv partner and um, the works, you know, poetry, all, all of these extra things that I did at the Boston Conservatory. And then I took interest in choreography, actually my senior year in at the Boston Arts Academy. Definitely. I think it's neat that, I think every dancer or choreographer, whatever you want to label yourself, should expose yourself to different various styles of dance because how you're going to grow and learn the fundamentals of each style if you're not taking a chance of getting outside your comfort zone. A lot of the techniques that you see in hip hop, modern, jazz, salsa, all originate from ballet. The, like the basic um, steps of like the six positions. Oh yeah, first, um, second. first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to do it with my hands and six. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people take ballet for granted or people think it might be easy. And then you, everyone's like, oh, I can do a play. But when it comes to pointing that toe, you be in a lot of pain. <laughs> yeah, a lot of pain. <laughs> it's a lot of, there's a lot of mechanics that goes along with movement. It's more than what everything seems. It's just like operating a business. It's more than just pushing out a product. There's the admin work, checking emails, making sure your team is good, hiring the right people, making sure that you have the right venues or much more 
which we'll go into. When did you get involved in choreography? Because you are a choreographer and you have earned that title. Um, I first started choreographing. Well, I really was kind of dabbling it in at the Roxbury Center for the Performing Arts, the dance school I grew up at. Um, but my really my senior year at the Boston Arts Academy when you know we had a senior project, and there was just I was like, I can create a world like that I, I, I was so fa- I loved creating things as a kid. I would always make things out of paper and like different worlds and whatever I had around me. So it was almost that same thing, taking bodies and like a stage and lights and costumes and making a whole world to like tell a concept or play with an idea. So I would say really in around high school is when I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to choreograph. I'm really interested in this. This is really fun. This is what I have to do. Definitely. Do you feel like, what would you label a choreographer as? Like if you, like someone comes up to you and they have no experience in dance, but they have, did like one dance project or whatever, and they're like, I'm a choreographer now. What would you say to them? Like any advice? Um, I would say to be a choreographer, it's really about finding your voice, is giving yourself a voice to speak. Some of us don't necessarily speak well with our mouths or don't communicate well. So in choreography can be that way of communication. Um, I would say to really dive in. That would be my advice to really dive in into your voice and really dive in into um, what you're trying to say in the work. Don't just make a piece to impress somebody. Don't make a piece to imitate anybody because it's already out there. Why, why do we need to imitate it? Really create something that means something to you that you're interested in and that's going to mean something to somebody else that you can reach. Mm-hmm. So what do you try to satisfy the audience first or yourself? Or is there a balance between the two? Um, definitely a balance between the two. I, I always like to say for me that I use choreography to answer questions that I may have about the world. Um, and that maybe someone can't answer or articulate very well to me. Just like a recent piece I did, it was more of like me of watching people because I was questioning why, why do we have this lifestyle of like we go to work, we come home, we, we repeat, we like, we work. That's like our thing. We work, 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 and have very little time to be. And, you know, this pandemic really talked to me about like, it's, I was just watching people kind of like, oh, when I don't have work, who am I? And I just like was asking that question, like, well, yeah, who are we when? And so I created a piece just kind of asking that question and that as me creating that things were answered as I was. So it's more satisfying myself by answering questions, but also satisfying the audience by answering that question for them and also entertaining them at the same time. That's awesome. For me, it's more of, I have an idea. I know this is gonna sound rude, but even when you're producing content on YouTube, sometimes you don't always have to put your audience first. You wanna just put out something that means something to you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to take the bullet. Maybe people don't like it, but you have to be okay with what you produce. It's a learning experience. Not everyone's gonna connect to something the same way that you do because not all of us have the same experience as you. But as long as you 
put in a hundred percent work into it, they might not like the piece or whatever, might not like the lighting or the costuming and stuff. But when they have that one-on-one -on -one interview with you and asking you, or when they read that booklet, which, which people like me do to get a concept of what it is, to see if I better translate it. And then be like, oh, maybe if I had read this in advance, I probably would have tuned in a little bit closer and stop mm -hmm. overanalyzing things. And I think that's the hardest thing for being someone who wants to be a creator or influencer or artistic director of anything. You have to put yourself first and understand what your audience might get in return. And sometimes you have to get that feedback and it changes you. Right. It's just a one-on-one -on -one communication experience and dance is a universal language that everybody can understand. Right, right. So now we'll go into the process of dance. Let's start with music because a lot of people go through their phones. I know I'm big on YouTube. I'm looking for not mainstream music. I wanna listen to good quality music. It doesn't matter if it's instrumental, sad, happy, or anything else, as long as it's different and I get to, you know, fail things out a little bit. So tell me what your process is like with music. Um, music comes in different ways for me. Uh, sometimes it's first on my list and I listen to it. Um, sometimes I'm making a piece and I have no idea what music it is. I would say music has to make sense to whatever I'm creating. And I'm actually dealing with that right now. I have no idea. So I'm about to set a work at Boston Conservatory uh, starting tomorrow, literally. And I have no idea what I'm doing with the music. I have no idea, but I know it's going to come because it, it's just going to make sense. So music has to, it can't just be something I love. Um, it has to emotionally make sense. It has to conceptually make sense. Um, and I'm just, because I'm big, I feel like why we dance, why people come to see dance, because we all feel and we want to feel. I don't want to just put something out there and not feel something. And I feel like the music has a big part of that. So it has to feel and it has to connect with the work. Mm. What is your favorite genre of music to dance to? Uh, I, I love, one, I love strings. Um, anything with strings is just, I don't know, something emotional about it that I love. But I do, I love different things. Typically, I always go to more instrumental, um, classical, contemporary, I would call it, I guess. Um, sometimes percussion, I guess it depends, it depends on the work, but my go-to is like, uh, I love to listen to strings. Anything with strings is great. Definitely. I know for me, my music always changes. I like abstract, I like foreign music because it's so diverse. And like I said, you don't hear it all the time. Like sometimes when I go to see hip hop performances, yes, I do watch those performances sometimes and they're playing like the same track. And mm -hmm. it's like, you kind of get sick of it after the fifth time of hearing it. Like, it's fine if I'm doing it, but <laughs> when you're watching it and the audience is just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the energy starts getting low because everyone heard the same copyright version of that song, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, what's your thoughts on choreographing without music? Um, if it, I feel like if it fits for the piece, absolutely. Um, Something can be just as powerful in silence as it is with music. So it's just really a 
depending on what you're creating. Definitely. And I like how you said earlier about instrumentals. I think people use lyrics to, I want to say get inspiration. I would say that they play out the words mm -hmm. and it kind of beats the purpose of the piece. Like the piece is supposed to, you're supposed to take us on a journey through the choreography. We can dance out words in our own home. Mm -hmm. We know the lyrics to the song. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Take us, I, on a, take us on a path. Let us get outside of our comfort zone. And we kind of use lyrics as a crutch right. because we have that inspiration on our own. Yeah. You know, sometimes with, with lyrics, it's tricky because it, it drives the work pretty much. It's like, oh, we're just going to. But, you know, sometimes it really works when you're using it and it just makes sense for the word. So, it's a, yeah, it's always a hit or miss, but it's always like, oftentimes it's just too much, like it's too, what's the Straightforward, word? Straightforward, yeah. Yeah. Next, we'll go into lighting. Yeah, lighting. Um, when making a piece, uh, it's really about highlighting something you want the audience to see. If something's like happened over here on stage left and like, Maybe you want to add a special or like a spotlight, something that, but you still want people to see what's going on over here. Um, it's really just about like what you want the audience to see, what atmosphere you're trying to create, what world you want the audience to dive into, what world you want your performers to be in. Um, you know, lately I have been doing less of like the actual designing, which before I would be like, no, I want this, I want this, I want that. Um, and being able to work with actual line designers and like seeing my work, letting them see my work and seeing what they come up with. And of course I'm still like, until mm, mm, we could tweak this. Yeah. Yeah, but like kind of that collaboration now is letting other people kind of dive in and see what they're seeing and how that, because something you might not have noticed might really work that somebody else had. And everything looks different in the audience perspective too, versus you being on stage. Yeah, always, always very different being on stage than what, what we see from the audience. I think I shared in one of my podcasts that I come to the shows two hours early. I like meeting the crew. I like them putting the stage and production together. I'm very visual because mm -hmm. like, if it doesn't make sense to me in my head, I don't think it's going to make sense to them. So making that one connection with the team like outside of the dancers. Like, this is my vision. This is how I want things to be executed. They say no, but I'm going to be like, yes, we're going to make this work. And my vision's going to come the way that I want it to. I just want you to trust me. And when there's that level of trust, then things will go efficiently and hopefully it comes out good. But I do take other people's suggestions, but you want to make sure that it's your vision and not someone else's. Right, right. Yeah, you're like me. Uh, go there and I want to see how everything works and meet the crew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Because without the team, you're nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> nothing but a stage. <laughs> um, costuming. I think that would go along with lighting as well. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much the same. Costuming has to work with the piece, has to make sense. You know, if we're doing a piece about like walking or something, like I would put people in pedestrian clothes. But if like we're dancing, maybe something that shows off their legs a little bit more. So it depends. It depends. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Like, it, I think what's interesting is ballet, like the different genres of ballet. There's four of them. There's Romantic Era, which came in first, and they had the long dresses. And the classical era, they had the tutus to showcase their legs a little bit more. Then you have contemporary where it's more free flowing. And then you have neoclassical where there could be like distortion. It's just very abstract. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are just like, how do you know the difference between each one? I'm just like, if you do the research, it's just everybody had like their own aesthetic. Like back in the day, people used to wear long dresses not showing their ankles and whatever because they were more conservative but now with dance you can be more free you can wear less clothes you can showcase your body and not be judged right right yeah that's good that's yeah dance history basically like the romantic the classical postmodern and yeah and what those eras meant at the time and how they were influenced by their what they the world they were living in yeah. And it's like, you know, we can always refer back to them as well. You know, Definitely. nowadays we kind of do whatever, but we can always be like, I want this to have more of a romantic feel and look at the romantic era. Definitely. We have to think outside the box and see, do our own research. Like we just brought up a little bit of dance history. It's just like, if you're going to do something on a movement, like on racism or feminism or anything in the sociology genre of contents of understanding. We need to dive deep, read articles, read books, stop looking at YouTube videos all the time and actually put in the work and effort, interview people who are from those time periods or have, um, or have that type of experience and see what worked for them. I mm -hmm. think what my niche documentary interviewing you guys gives me an opportunity to educate myself on different topics, whether it's real estate, whether it's um, health and wellness, because there's a lot of things that go on in the dance community that a lot of people aren't aware of, like mental health, abuse, mm -hmm. people cutting themselves, like this is like a real reality that we have to live, but everyone's like, oh, they, they have everything so perfect, look at how they dance, look at all that, but what's going on here mentally? Right, right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we already touched base on movement a little bit. Did you want to dive deeper into it? Like, how do you stage each thing? Um, I could say quickly, I guess. Uh, you know, each choreographer has a different process when it comes to, like, making movement. So I'm just, like, use it as material and then branch off from it. Um, Oftentimes, I like my actual movement to reflect my concept. So it's like something's about like grabbing something. I want to keep playing with grabbing something. Um, that's just like an example. But some people are like, I just need material, and then we're gonna branch off from there and see what happens. And then like it's more about structuring. And so it's really yeah, movements are really. I wanted to mean something when we actually move. Definitely. And now we're going to go into the roles of being a choreographer. Recruiting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So being a choreographer is so much more than just making something. You have to find dancers that are going to do your work. And 
that are going to do, do it justice because at the end of the day, they're the ones who are selling your product. They're the ones that people are seeing. You know, the choreography can be phenomenal. And if you don't have a dancer who's doing the work justice or honestly, um, it's not going to work. The, pe the audience won't see it. People who want to present it won't see it. Um, so recruiting is a big, yeah, job for choreographers. You want someone who's going to do your work justice. And oftentimes it's not about the leg that's going up. Maybe it's, oh, this person really has that intention. Somebody has this or that that I'm looking for for this. And you have to make sure that they really want to be there. Yes. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a collaboration at the end of the day. It's you and the dancers and a bunch of other stuff, obviously, too. Mm -hmm. I'd like to bring up how being a choreographer is a full-time business. You just can't walk away from something. When we say recruiting, this is the auditioning process, seeing how getting a feel for the dancers is more than just their capability of putting on a good show. It's like, are they physically present and are they mentally present in that moment? And seeing if the personalities will mesh well. It's just like developing a song and you're collaborating with other singers, is everyone gonna harmonize well together? Or is there that sound that you notice that is different and not meant for it? Not saying that they're not talented, but saying that they're not the good mold to make this into something that you want it to be at that present moment. Exactly, exactly. It has to mold, it has to blend, it has to mesh and be open to rejection. Everybody's not gonna like your work like I had mentioned before. Right, it's not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna go back into music. Editing, what does that look like? Uh, editing, again, that's one of those things like lighting where I'm doing, a, I used to like edit everything because I was like, this has to happen like this, this has to be like that. Um, because it has to make sense. Like even sometimes I don't need this whole song because it's just not working in what I'm trying to say. Um, but now, you know, I have, well, it depending on the situation and like where I'm working, I, you know, sometimes you have somebody that will edit for you and like they will also throw their input or like, oh, this um, works here. Like in recent, I just did a piece at Rowan University and there was a sound designer and he was like adding these crashes and adding this and like extending this. And I was like, I like it. That's like, this is working, this, that's working. And it's like stuff I wouldn't even have thought about, but I'm like, this just enhances it. Um, but like music editing is, I think some that most choreographers kind of have to know, or I mean, maybe not that literally the mechanics of it sometimes, cause they can always get somebody to do it, but they have to understand it. They have to understand music and understand music editing. I think we came into a world where people like to hire other people to do the work for us instead of taking the time to develop our own ideas. Mm -hmm. um, I think the term for it is called outsourcing. People go on Fiverr, Upwork, and get all these freelancers to do everything for you. Yeah. But they're only working with you for maybe like a couple of hours a day or two because we don't really have much time to work with the dancers that we're working with. Mm -hmm. And since they don't personally know you, you have to make sure that your instructions are very clear. Like when I came up with my logo for my business, 
I was very direct. I was like, I want something that looks like a camera and looks like film because I do both. So how does that look? And then I had to come up with a tagline for it. What is going to make the most connection with everybody? I want to tell more than just my story. I want to tell other people's story. So that's how we came up with people made stories. Right. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That you want, you want to, if you're going to work with somebody, you want to work with someone who's going to understand you, whether it's mm -hmm. a logo or editing music. And yeah. trust someone who's honest too. Like, no, this sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to be, because you'll be unhappy at the end of the day. <laughs> You'd rather them tell you than the public, because it's a lot of money that comes into designing and editing. Mm -hmm. So now that you have the dancers and you have the music, how does the dance sequence go? You say that you cut out some clips of the song and you add another clip or a sound effect or something like that. How do you translate that? Because you say that you start with movement first mm -hmm. and then you add the music, but most people start with music first and then the movement. Um, it, it depends because I've, I've started with music before. It, it really, yeah, it depends on the situation, I guess. Um, I think, I thought, yeah, I guess I had both sides where I've had the music and I'm like, there's a boom here and we want to hit this boom. Uh, but we wanted to, what does that mean when we hit this boom in terms of the work? Um, or if I don't have the music and I know we're going to play with the music afterwards, like I'm like, oh, the dancer had like did this thing and I really want to soften up the when they soften up. Um, mm -hmm. So we're going to take this music out or maybe I'm just going to use this whole music and it just happens to work. Um, yeah, it just really depends on what you're trying to say and how the music and the dance mesh together. Yeah, I'm, I remember when I was younger because I started choreographing when I was eight but I used to have like these dreams of big productions. I used to study stages going online. And when I'm actually in a venue, I'm like, let me see how many lights that they're using. Are there any lights on the side? How many wings do they have? These are curtains for people that don't know. Um, how are they using the space? Is the tile gonna be white for like the colors and have like a dramatic effect with lighting? Is it gonna be a white backdrop with a um, shoe? clips like i'm very visual so if i don't see it in my head i can't yeah i don't see the connection when i'm trying to like push it through like even when i work with films well everybody knows that i'm visual it's just like is there a clear beginning middle or end mm -hmm. who are the main characters what is the setting what is the plot what is the climax it's just like building a story if it does not have a story, nobody can resonate with it and no one will have an understanding of what you're doing. Right, right. Yeah, and you have to do all of that in like whatever time that's given to you. It's like I me, mean, two days and they're like, oh, well, we have to put it on stage now. So that's probably like two hours working with a new set of dancers that I never worked with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is <laughs> so much to pull from and it's always never enough time. Never and people need to learn if you don't move quick, you get replaced real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and don't step on any 
the choreographer told like if if this person rented out this studio for eight hours and then working with four different choreographers, just expect to only work for an hour or two. And then have to work with someone else just because you want to go overtime to work on some little kinks. You got to wait until your time slot. It's like a respect factor. Yeah, yeah. Too many moving parts. <laughs> Too many moving parts. Lighting, costumes, being choreographer, making it all work. Mm -hmm. And the admin work, getting, um, reaching out to people or people reaching out to you. When you first start, you think you're all big and bad. You think you can do this and that like your Dana Jackson, but she had to sit down and wait for her spotlight too. Mm -hmm. She had started out on Good Times, I think it was, and worked herself up as an actor, a singer, a dancer. Like they all started at a young age and they put in that level of execution and what keeps them relevant without them. It's funny. It's like they don't even have to be in the press to be relevant. Right. It's just that impact that they have with us and we respect them for it. You don't always have to be the loudest one in the room. You don't always have to be the quiet one in the room. It's what, what makes you you. Right. Yeah, what makes you you and it's, it's like, this is their, your livelihood, whether you're in the spotlight or not, it's like, I, this is like an investment. This is, this is what you spend your time doing. Mm -hmm. Whether, you know, you're in the spotlight, you are discovering what's your voice. And that's a true investment, all that traveling from state to state, people just look at the glamorized part of, oh, you have no stress, you get to go all over the world. Oh, you get to work with such and such choreographer. Oh, you got to perform on this giant stage. But are you really happy? Right. That you have to ask yourself. When you're on stage, you're playing that role. But does that get away all your insecurities? No. Does that help you out with your finances? No. Does that? There's a lot of obstacles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many obstacles. So many. So many personal obstacles, so many physical obstacles. Dance is like you have to you have to love this to do it. And that's a lot of wear and tear on your body as well. Mm -hmm. And mentally. So we're gonna go into fitness and mindset. Let's describe what is fitness. Uh, fitness, kind of like what we were just talking about almost, um, is you know, people get this idea that being healthy is being skinny and this and that. And being healthy can also be you're a thicker person, but you're just, you're healthy. You're at your physical peak, I would even say, but where you can, especially in dance, where you can have the stamina to move through a 20, 45 minute piece. Uh, you have the mental capacity to betray a role on stage. Um, fitness is like, yeah, it's, it's a mind and body thing. You have to be fit up here and here. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to look like a model, but you have to be, you have to be strong. You have to have your muscles in, um, activated. You have to have, it's, it's, you know, it's just so much. It's so, it's like you have to have just your body in shape. 
in shape warmed up. It's it's all of these little pieces that that it's not about being skinny. It's about being healthy. Yeah, you can even get diabetes and being thin. Same thing with being plus size. Let me tell you, some of the greatest dancers I have ever seen were plus size. Like, look at Lizzo, for example. Everybody body shames her. But guess what? She's confident and she looks good. And her dancers. But I give her a lot of effort. I give her A for execution and everything because she has a lot of confidence that us skinny people don't even have on a regular base. (laughs) You know? Yeah, I agree with you. Honestly, a lot of like plus size or normal or other types of body types, I'm like, oh, they're dancing. They're like, they have that thing. I call this the, the thing that like when someone's just like into this, they're, they're, this is what they're supposed to do. And yeah, I, I often see that in different body types. Mm-hmm. And every body type moves differently. So right. sometimes you have to figure out what style would work best for you not saying that you can't be a ballerina or a contemporary dancer a modern dancer salsa dancer but the way that your body moves like is there a more jiggle in some area is there do you have to have like a small frame because every choreographer's eyes different i don't think everybody's intention is to be cruel to every people to all people well there was a moment at my college where one of the teachers had confronted the students in class. I'm just hearing from word of mouth, but this is what actually happened. He set up all the t- um, all the students in a straight line, had them look in a mirror, and he told them to look in a mirror and tell them that they look fat and they need to lose weight. And keep in mind, a lot of them had a lot of health conditions. Some people are medication. Some people can't help their size. Everybody has a different body type. Those dancers took that advice. They went inside that cafeteria. They started eating salad, but they didn't know anything about nutrition. They were eating the same amount of calories that they were doing with fast food, and they were gaining more weight. So when I heard that story, I had to confront the choreographer, and I was just like, what gave you the right to say that about them? And he was like, they need us to know that. They're fat and they have diabetes. Would you hire someone who has diabetes? And I'm like, that is an ignorant statement. Just because someone's plus size doesn't mean that they have diabetes. There's type one and there's type two. Some people can inherit the diabetes. Some people have too much cholesterol or not enough sodium. There's a lot of factors that goes into it. I'm going to do a podcast on that soon. But the mindset that he was in was ignorant. Why would you use your platform where these people may not even have an opportunity to perform in a regular light like me and you have been able to? But being on stage in this college might be their first and their last time ever to perform. So don't take that away from them. Everybody's trying to chase that dream. Yeah, and I think, yeah, from whoever's a leader, it has to come from leadership. You have to understand that nutrition and just you're, you're too fat lose weight it's like a very two different thing so you have to know let's figure out how to be healthy let's figure out how to so that we can get through this and it's good for you and it's good for the work mm-hmm. definitely yeah let's go into mindset um i believe mindset is a state of being like in the present moment mm-hmm. 
Some people think a mindset is I have to achieve that. But how do you reach out and grab it if you don't have the tools to do it? Yeah. Um, you know, with mindset, I feel like we should all start thinking, yes, you should have goals. Um, but along the way, you should realize that you're doing what you want to do. Um, whether it's at the level that you want to do it, yes, we can always push the level. But I think that's creating some appreciation because I, I felt like, you know, even when I was in school training that I'm like, I'm doing what I want to do. Like I'm dancing and that's what I want to do. I want to dance at the end of the day. Maybe it's not in front of an audience right now, or maybe it's not in front of a big audience or whatever, but I'm dancing. So I get to appreciate this because if I'm not able to dance tomorrow, I'm injured, whatever. Like I was in a moment where I appreciated that I was dancing and it'd be like, like I did, I did it at least. Because then if we're always like, I'm going to be here, we're going to still reach there, still reach there, we're going to feel like we never danced. And it was like, you were dancing in that studio, you was giving your best life, you know what I mean? And so we need to start thinking a little bit that way, but also always pushing the level that we're at, but also appreciate where we're at. I think we came to an age where, I'm going to have to agree with Naomi Campbell on this, people don't understand the work and complexity that it comes to being in a certain light people want the clout people want the fame but people have no brands we look at these so-called influencers we look at these so-called entrepreneurs and we just hear them talk about passive income we hear them just talking about how they're living in fancy houses and cars but we never see them do work mm -hmm. the only thing i see online is because i looked on youtube to see what this really looks like and they're waking up in the morning at five o'clock in the morning people do that on a normal base they're drinking coffee everybody does that on a normal base going to the gym everybody does that on a normal base right but they have money and they have followers a lot of people pay for followers and a lot of people have a team behind them to get them where they are yeah so like I said, there's a difference between being an entrepreneur and being a business owner or being an influencer or someone who is trying to make an influence. Right. Absolutely. Like, um, you know, money is funny because anybody can pay to look like something. And mm -hmm. that, that's, that's like kind of what we've been growing up in lately. It's like, oh, how can I look? what can I look like to other people as opposed to what am I actually doing in real life for myself? Because if you do it for yourself, trust me, people will recognize it. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. It's, you know, some people are not doing any work and they're like, I'm a entrepreneur and I am, I'm a superstar. You're a superstar because you have money. Like, well, what are you a superstar of? What are you an entrepreneur of? What are you a, an influencer of? Yeah, there's a lot of work and effort that goes behind that. And when we're not seeing that, you try to look up black, try looking at black entrepreneurs, and there's not that many. Mm. Why is that? And we're using our platform, me and you, to give representation. People that look like us, 
I thought what was neat about me having a podcast is getting people who are from different lives, different countries, different states, different perspectives, different sexualities. Like I said, just a different diverse group because I might learn something new. Like I have gained a lot of knowledge from you. I'm getting to know more about your personal life than you would share to a normal person. Mm-hmm. My perspective on dance may be different from yours. Like I grew up performing at home. I used to put on productions, charge $20 for adults, $10 for kids, put on an hour show. I paid for costumes, lighting, music, all from chores. And people are like, wow, he's a true businessman. <laughs> is, and that's what we do. That's literally what we do in real life. Right. And then how do you apply those skills as you get older? Some people give up on it, but that's okay. Like I mentioned in a video, it's okay that your passion has changed. Mm-hmm. Just because you started out in dance right now may not be what you're going to be doing 20 years from now. Your body might react to it differently. Your knees might go out. I have some friends with knee replacements, mm-hmm. shoulders dislocated. People have seizures. It's life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a real thing, especially in in a physical career. You know, I, I've had two knee injuries and surgeries, and but, you know, that was just only an obstacle. I only see obstacles as something you overcome and get stronger from as a, an, as a block. Mm-hmm. So what has been a really big obstacle that you have had in your career, whether it's on something that something happened to you or someone said to you, what are like your two big obstacles that you feel? Um, in my career, the biggest obstacle that I remember, and this is more like in training, um, believe it or not, I was very scrawny and um, still not need and hyperextended and pigeon-toed, but I've learned to work with it. Um, but I was always told, oh, you're never gonna be a dancer. Like your knees are just, they're all what it is. And I was like, oh, that's, that's not gonna stop me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a way to change, not change my body, but kind of change my body where it's visually pleasing and it's not going to be about what my needs are like. Um, and I don't know, something's changed as I was training. I was figuring out how to work with my legs, how to um, somehow, I, I didn't really try to like get bigger. That, I don't know, that just happened. We eat a lot of rice in DR. So <laughs> I think that just was from eating rice or something. But um, I would say that was one of like the biggest obstacles in training. Um, Another obstacle that I see happen to almost everybody is expectation. You get to a place where either people expect you to be this great dancer or be in this company, or you should be in that, and this is what you should do. And sometimes it's not what you wanna do. Sometimes it's not the real passion for you. And that becomes an, a mental obstacle. It's, it's like, um, am, am I doing this just to satisfy people? Or am I just like to build this image and like to make get likes on Facebook and social media? Or am I really doing this because I enjoy this? And I do see that a lot. It's an obstacle, an ongoing obstacle that we need to figure out. Definitely. I know a big obstacle for me 
Well, we'll start out with what people say. People tell me, why aren't you in Hollywood? You, you're very successful. You're very smart and doing all this and that. Let me tell you, when I went to LA, it was very life-changing. There was a lot of homelessness. There was a lot of lost hope, a lot of lost dreams. They call it the land of lost dreams because everybody thinks, oh, I'm attractive. Oh, I can dance. I can act. I can sing. But a lot of people all over the world can do that. Mm-hmm. People have, people aren't being realistic with themselves. There's competition everywhere. Right. Like I tell my dancers, tell everyone that I work with, everybody on the stage is replaceable. I am replaceable. So you need to take the moment and the opportunity that you get every day and take full advantage of it. Just because you don't get selected in a dance piece, tell that choreographer like I have done multiple times and say, do you mind if I just shadow? Because some might get injured or some might drop out. And guess what? It had allowed me to lead roles. It gave me more opportunities to perform in other venues. And I have got the opportunity to do a lot of community service around the Massachusetts neighborhood. And being able to perform in front of these not-for-profit organizations for kids just reminded me when I was their age, eight or nine, and be like, I want to be just like them when I grow up. And giving them a handshake or a hug back in the time, this is before COVID, (laughs) just to give clarification. And teaching them how to dance, playing games with them, listen to them laugh, cry, and being the moment. And that's what a lot of people aren't chiming in. What what is your physical and mental state of mind? Are you willing to put in the work to be successful? Because success doesn't just come to you. No one's that privileged. It doesn't matter how much money that you have, you can still be in debt. Everything is a spectrum. Just because the celebrity is making millions of dollars, look at the how much money it costs for the house. Mm-hmm. Look at how much that they have to pay for security. Look at how much that they have to pay for venues, costume designers, talent, the whole production crew. They're spending maybe $50 million on a concert just to make sure that you guys are interested in giving them more money so they can keep financing their work and get opportunities to grow. People forget about taking out loans and stuff like that. And people giving out scholarships. People just think money just well, it does come from trees, but you think you can just pick it out like that. But right. no, you got to really push through. And I think the biggest obstacle for me was colorism. And I experienced that throughout my career. It came to a point where I know for my dance piece, it was just like, I felt a lot of pressure everybody's just like you have to perform a certain way you have to look a certain way and I always had to keep looking at my younger self and be like what would this child do at if he was doing this or doing that and how do I keep pushing forward even though that people are trying to take that light away from me my dance piece was called to be or not to be to be myself or be this extrovert performer and where do I meet in the middle? What is my identity? It came to a point where they threatened to drop me out and 
because of creative differences. And I wouldn't want anyone to experience anything that I have experienced. I was glad that a lot of people got to see that and see and witness what was happening because colorism is hard to prove and it is a form of racism. And yes, black people can be racist too. White people can be racist, Asian people and all the nine yards. But you just wanna give representation of, yes, you are a black artist. Yes, you are whatever, but what does this truly mean to you? Are you gonna give up? Are you gonna keep pushing through? Because if you walk away from this opportunity, no one's gonna see your work and they win. But if you just pull yourself together, you got your support, you got the whole team behind you, just go up on stage and make it your last piece for the school. And that was it. I didn't perform ever since um, at that school. I just didn't wanna experience that again. And it's a lot of effort when I'm teaching and training other people currently. And making sure that they don't experience what I have experienced and making sure that everybody feels good. Like I do little check-ins on everyone. Is everybody all right? Should I keep moving on? Should I repeat anything over? You just want to be kind of like that mentor, something that I didn't really have growing up. Yeah, you know, that's funny. Uh, two things, you talk about being in the moment and like, you know, that possibility I might be able to get into this piece by just like doing this like on the side and like that's really like a that's a real thing and it's uh really like you're getting you're changing somebody else's mind one if you are you know i don't dance over there and you're but you do it for yourself because you're like i just want to i want to be able to have this experience even if i don't perform it but that you know and that happens a lot where like you're doing that and it's like oh this person can't do it anymore jump in or even I actually like the way you do that better. I saw you in the corner and you were dancing and like, you're giving me what I'm looking for. Do this part now. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's only fair to yourself to do that, to get that experience. And then um, about colorism, um, I see that a lot actually. I even see it in black dance companies. For dancers too dark, they don't necessarily always use them. Um, if they're not pretty they're not the forefront of the company or they're not, they're not teaching any of the classes or they're not in the, you know, a, a lot of the works and that that's a really real thing. And I feel like we've come too far from racism. I mean, we've had, a, we have a lot. One time I should bleach my skin one time in my career. <laughs> and that's a real thing. You can go to different countries and there's the bleach right on the, yeah. It's not locked up or anything. People can just grab it and go. And yeah, we're watching some of these people on YouTube getting lighter and lighter and lighter. And it's just like, wow. And you see people getting implants, Brazilian butt lifts. It's just like, it might satisfy you for the moment, but people don't think about the health conditions. Where do we right, find right. ourselves? You gotta the love health your health condition and the mental yeah. Like what that does to you mentally as well. Like, well, oh, I have to, I'm not beautiful enough. I have to do this. I have to do that. Yeah. And it's like, we need more representation of who we are, our actual world. We need that on stage and we need that, that um, support. 
Because we, you know, we we dance because we experience and we don't dance what we experience. It's not honest. We're just trying to show this image, this perfect image. It's the same thing with modeling. Like, not not every girl is going to have the six pack and the whatever or whatever. You know, I'm starting to see know, people with tattoos now. It? Like, wow, this wasn't allowed a couple of years ago. Yeah. 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 Let's see. What opportunities have you had with dance um, before and post COVID? Post COVID, um, I got to um, find find my business. Um, I did not. It's not something I anticipated. Really, it was. It kind of came to me. That's my business partner. Actually, was like, "Do you want to do this thing?" It was to be a director for another like youth program, and then we just like saw like how much talent there was for a lot of like the inner city youth, especially, and how bad they wanted and how much they enjoyed it, how much they were, how good they were, but like did not have the the resources to pursue it. And so that's why we really started Joe May because we were like, let's go, because we're all over the place. We're jumping, jumping, jumping. We're like, let's play at the place where we can bring mm-hmm. them to us and kind of build something for them. And like, we were, it was never about like, um, oh, we want a dance company. We just want to be fierce of this. And it was like, there's so much talent here and they cannot even, we need to provide that for them. And so like, that was a major opportunity for dance. And like, and we only started with like a teenage company and then they wanted to keep going. So that's when we started the adults, the professional company. And then, you know, there were smaller kids who wanted to like join. And it was like, we need to keep this like always trickling. So that's when we started the youth company. And so that it's always like a place for every generation, every age every every race we were very open to whoever needed it and wanted it and we call personas um understanding your audience like what is the age demographic um the geographic there's a lot of factors that go into operating a business a lot of people see me with the film production company and what's great about it is that i get to document my experience growing i do little milestone videos showing people, yes, this is awkward for me at first, but the videos got better, the quality got better. I got a little bit better lighting, getting fancier cameras instead of just recording on my iPad and phone. Mm -hmm. But it's a journey and being able to reach out to your audience and be like, I'm just like you. I cry sometimes, I laugh sometimes, but I'm glad that you guys support me and I want this to keep going. And I think that's great that you started out with a certain niche, you had a certain group and you, it sounds like you did a survey of the dancers and being like, maybe we should make an older group or maybe we should include someone that's younger and get them motivated to dance and see how long it takes them to develop or drop off. So, you know, for the next year or the next season, you know, what type of audience are you going to expect? Right. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it was always based off of a need. What, what does my community need? And so that's what we, okay, we're going to provide this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this. Um, because, you know, there are dance companies and they can only 
but there's never a space for them. And so we're like, we're trying to create a space so that you can make your way to it or have it. Um, but outside of that, personally, I, um, I got to dance with a Cambridge-based company, or I guess Boston too, uh, Prometheus Dance and Anna Meyer and Dancers. Uh, I was there. I was with Anna Meyer for almost 15 years because I started in high school with her. Uh, and then I was with Prometheus for three years. Uh, and then after that, I had moved to Philadelphia and, and danced with Philadelphia for eight seasons. Currently in transition and been choreographing, uh, teaching at universities, uh, still choreographing, but I am in transition to a new journey that I don't think I'm allowed to say yet. Um, yeah. But I... <laughs> It's definitely exciting, and but I get to also be find my own and starting to because I'm kind of you know when you're in a company and you're dancing you you kind of put a lot of focus into being a performer being a dancer and kind of wanting to perfect that and you kind of don't get the full opportunity to choreograph a lot so I'm finding that place where I can actually do that choreograph a little bit more um, so you know getting these commissions with universities and you know other organizations and yeah that's where i'm at with opportunities right now that's awesome i'm still a little scared to get back into the dance studios even though i'm still training remote but my my can what my thoughts are currently of it like dancing live it's it's very scary people are still dying of covid and people aren't being cautious it doesn't matter if you're not vaccinated or vaccinated please be safe, mm -hmm. do the normal habits that we were taught as kids, like washing your hands, hygiene habits. If you gotta blow your nose, do it in the bathroom, wash your hands straight after. It's just like the little basic things that we're neglecting. And I'm tired of seeing concerts on TV and no one's being protected. Yeah, it's, it's like a real thing. Uh you know, everyone's like, I'm tired of wearing these masks. I'm doing this, da 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 And, but like, I'm seeing like, nobody's really being considerate of what the situation is. It's like, we- If it doesn't you directly, then you don't care. Yeah, and you know, we think, oh, okay, we're vaccinated, everything's good. And it's like, that. you know, that's not how that works, you know? You can still get it. You can still pass it. You can still, it just lowers the blow. That's it. You still have to be cautious. You still have to be cautious for other people, for yourself. You know, it's this, it's in dance. It's weird because, you know, it's a physical thing. And it's like when COVID hit, it's like, oh, everything, we have to go virtual. What, do, what is it? Like, mm -hmm. lose the connection that you had with your peers or the ones you dance with and your audience and like, what, how, how do we navigate through that in, in the virtual world? And now it's like coming back, but it's like, there's so many restrictions and coming back and it makes sense, obviously, but. You can't even get into venues or grocery stores without even being vaccinated in some states. It's yeah, crazy. yeah, yeah. But, you know, I've never, I'm not like pro-vax and unpro-vax or anything so it's like i'm always i'm pro um, do yeah. what it, well do what makes sense 
you know, to educate yourself and do what makes sense. Because understand, understand how the vaccine works, understand how it works without it, how and how you can protect yourself still. You know, there there's always options and do what's best for you. You know, but then don't just say I'm vaccinated and then go ahead and breathe in somebody's face just because you're vaccinated. Like mm-hmm. we we still have to be considered. Yeah. Let's see. One last question. <laughs> What would you say to your younger self that you know now today? You know, I don't know. That's always hard because I'm like, I was where I was supposed to be for a reason. You know, there's always things like, oh, you know, if I knew that, but maybe, maybe I didn't need to know it. Uh, I guess more on the choreographic side, I've just been like, this is, this is what's needed to be a choreographer. I would have probably told myself that as a younger me, so I I would have dived into it a little bit more sooner, I guess. Um, and to practice, practice who I am, I guess. Keep practicing who I am. Because sometimes when you're in a workspace, you can lose, you can easily become like, and I, I'm not that person, but like, you can easily become a complainer or this. And when you practice something, you get good at it, right? You practice dance, you get good at it. You practice complaining, you get good at it complaining and sometimes you know you can get lost in that and I would tell I would just tell myself is keep practicing who you are you are genuinely a caring person you are a nice person you are a forgiven person and you are a, a just naturally someone who wants to invest in whatever you're doing so keep practicing that I guess I would tell my younger self because there are moments there are, it's easy for me to <laughs> distract it I guess I would say to my younger self, it doesn't matter how much research that you do on starting a business or being a choreographer. It doesn't matter how many tools you have, but it's just about the experience. Mm-hmm. Take those opportunities because they're not just given to you. Yeah. And being a full-time creator, it's very tough. As we had mentioned to the audience, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to be judged. It's not okay to judge other people based off your own insecurities to inflict pain on others. Being a choreographer, being an influencer, being entrepreneur and so on and so forth with all these new titles that they keep coming up with, take the time and effort to learn what is the obstacles that people are having understand what you have to offer and take it from there and take the initiative to start. You rather have 10, 10 strong followers than a million people who just follow you just to follow you and not watch your content. Be in that present moment, take that initiative to move forward, start a business today, start your um, dance company tomorrow, whatever, and just be okay with making mistakes in the beginning if you don't make any mistakes and you're a perfectionist that's already (laughs) you know you're not growing yeah good 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 for you really because honestly you know you always hear people who are like i want to do this i want to do that and it's like then do it go do it and i guess that's where that whole like when i say be in the moment appreciate what you're doing in that moment like that's where that you know 
okay, I'm going to do it. I might not be doing it at the level I'm doing it, but I want, I'm doing it now. And mm-hmm. then it's going to grow from there because you're doing it. And that's good. It's good that you're Everybody's doing it. Everybody's watching it too. Say that again? Everybody's watching you too. Yeah. Yeah. They remember you as that small kid or that adult starting that dream. And you actually took the effort to actually do it. Make mm-hmm. us believe. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they doubted you, they're watching. And then they'll be like, wow, you did that. They did that. She did that. Whoever. They, they're they doing it. And like, you know, because everyone's always like, oh, yeah, that's, that's nice. Go ahead. Try it out. You know? And they're <laughs> like, wow, you, you did it. You stuck with it. Yeah. Definitely. So we'll wrap up and you can um, tell us where we can follow you. Yeah. Um, thank you for watching, everyone. I, um, you can follow me. I have a website, www.gonzalez.dance. Um, I am on Instagram, Facebook, um, Joe Gonzalez, both Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, I, I guess that's where you can follow me, really, on those, those platforms. <laughs> announcement you guys i am hosting some webinars um they're going to be both featured on um both going to be featured on february 19th 2022 so all you people that are watching please sign up i will have the link in the description i will be teaching people how to create a 30 second or less ad for their business personal brand products and services this is a great opportunity for you to learn how to make a trailer or some type of ad showcasing your work and reaching out to a bigger audience. The first session starts at 12 and the second session starts at two. The link is in the description. The tickets are for $15 and it's going to be an interactive webinar where I teach you some tools and techniques that I use for my business and seeing how you can apply to it. And then there's gonna be a 30, um, a 25 minute Q&A where you can ask me some questions about what your process is and what steps that you're making to reaching your goal for your business. And you can follow me on Instagram and YouTube and Clubhouse at B Perry Films. Keep posted on my Instagram where I keep everyone informed on everything that I'm doing what my business and hope you all enjoyed. Thank you, Joe, for being a part of this. <laughs> right, I mean.